Amen. Good singing tonight. Let's open to Romans chapter 10. Today we're going to look at the rest of chapter 10 uh, as we have walked through Romans. And now coming to chapter 10, we've learned that Romans 9 through 11 deals a lot with Israel and to Israel and dealing with Israel's salvation. And last time we met, we worked through Romans 10 verses 1 through 15. Today we're going to go back a little bit and take it with the rest of the chapter because it's, uh, I believe, connected there, even though what I said last week is true. I'm not changing anything that I said. I'm just going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to see tonight that Paul is giving us five reasons or proofs that the gospel is not for Israel alone. And uh, God loves the whole world, every person in the world. Aren't you glad? And uh, his love is not limited to any one nation or people or type of person. It's for everyone. And so the gospel is universal. It's for the world. And so let's look at, uh, we're going to begin in verse number 12. And uh, so let's read chapter 10, verses 12 through 21 there, so we can get an overview of what we're looking at tonight. The Bible says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Or how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? <laughs> Excuse me, got the hiccups, I'm trying to fight them. Uh, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yea, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Esaias is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. We're going to look at those uh, today and see five proofs that the gospel is to all people, not just to Israel alone. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I speak tonight. I pray that I would say what you would want me to say and uh, not say anything that you would prevent me to say. I pray that you would help us to hear from you and uh, see this and apply it to our own lives as we are seeing it to uh, apply it to Israel as well as the Gentiles. I pray that you bless us now tonight. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. <coughs> First proof that he talks about is the Lord is not partial. We see this in verse number 12. And he says, for there is no difference between the Jews and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. A number of verses talk about the fact that God is not partial. He does not see, have partiality with man. Well, the gospel is universal. Uh, the Lord treats uh, 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 all men alike. Um, we see, first of all, that there is no national difference. He says that there for no difference between the Jew or the Greek. Uh, there's no prejudice between men in the light of God's promise of salvation. Uh, the relationship between God and man is the same for everyone. In God's eyes, all people are his creations, uh, separated from him because of their sin and only capable of being saved by his son's atoning sacrifice. 
when we were in California, uh, we had, just before I came to the church where I was just was at previous to this church, uh, they had to deal with some young men that uh, were trying to spread a false theology. And uh, they were trying to hand out flyers and paper to people at the church. And the pastor got wind of it and told them, listen, you guys, you can't hand out that stuff at church. You can't do that. And so then he found out they were handing it out in the parking lot uh, of the church. And he told them, he said, I'm sorry, but you can't do that. They ended up leaving the church. But the papers dealt with uh, the, that uh, white people were the, uh, were the new Jews, were the God's chosen people, basically. And it was a white supremacist group and uh, it had infiltrated part of our church. And God protected the church. Uh, but soon after that, uh, they made, uh, made news because they had actually committed murder in our area and killed a gay couple in the, in the area where we lived and uh, ended up being national news. And boy, I tell you what, our church was about that close to being listed with that whole scandal and the whole situation. And it was heartbreaking because they wouldn't listen to the truth. And uh, people come off on a, sta on a tangent sometimes and try to twist the word of God to try to say what they want it to say. But you can't do that. You can't rest the scriptures is what the Bible says. Um, but God does not save some men um, in a particular way or, and uh, leave others. He, the gospel is for everyone. Uh, anyone who will come to him may come to him. And he will in no wise cast them out. Um, God does not save some men in a particular way while rejecting others in a different way because they're Jew or Greek. And I've been asked before, did, do, uh, did the Jews that uh, were under the Old Testament get saved by keeping the law? No, they didn't. Uh, they got saved by faith, faith in what had been revealed to them. And uh, God only holds you accountable for what has been revealed to you, what revelation he has given you, uh, given man, I should say. And what has been revealed to man at that time. And uh, they were, did not have the whole picture. It was a mystery at points of what it was. And so they didn't know all of the details of everything that happened. But if they had faith in God's plan and in the Messiah and uh, the, what God had promised, uh, then they, that faith is what saved them. We saw that in Romans earlier as we've gone through this. Uh, and they were saved the exact same way that we are but salvation is not just for the Jews. Everyone is saved the exact same way by having faith in God and in his plan. And God is impartial. And he doesn't have any favorites. You say, well, what about God's chosen people? That doesn't mean that he was their favorites. It's just that he chose them for his plan, uh, to fulfill his plan through them. doesn't mean that he liked them better than us. <laughs> and uh, it just was that... That was his plan that he chose. In his sovereign will, he chose Abraham and his descendants to go through. And no one gets saved or is condemned with preference to one or the other. And so there's no national difference. Secondly, there's no difference in blessing, uh, at least regarding salvation and the gospel. Uh, the Lord God is rich to all that call upon him. Uh, scripture clearly declares, Exodus 34, 6, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. He was abundant in, in, in goodness. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Um, the Lord is abundant in goodness and blessings, including grace and mercy. And every good and perfect thing exists in the world 
has come from his kindness and grace because he's so generous to us. James 1.17 says that this way, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It doesn't vary between person to person uh, of how much blessing comes or what gifts or good things come from God. Uh, he, is, he has no partiality. There's no difference in the blessings. And note two significant points here. Uh, first of all, God is rich enough. He says, I, I didn't put, re, put my verse down here so that I could see it. Okay, for the same Lord, in verse number 12, that's right, I'm still in verse number 12. <laughs> I thought I had moved on so I couldn't find it. Uh, he says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Uh, he is rich enough to bless everyone. Amen? Rich enough to handle everyone's salvation. And God has enough supply to richly bless all who call upon him. There is no limit to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption. Uh, looks like I've lost something here. It's not coming. Not, there it goes. It doesn't, there it goes. Ephesians 1.7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have this redemption because of the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.18, a few verses down, it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, the next chapter, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through, Je through Christ Jesus. Uh, God is plenteous uh, in riches, amen, and the grace that he has for us. Secondly, we notice in this verse that God waits for our call. He says he is rich. Verse 12, again, the Lord over all, uh, same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Uh, a man must call upon God to receive the riches of God's mercy and grace. Um, we talked about it at the funeral that sometimes we get the cart before the horse uh, as far as dealing with, uh, you know, if we, uh, I can't get saved because I, ha I can't give this up or whatever. Well, you need God's power to do that. It, that is what we're talking about here, the riches of God's mercy and grace. And when we yield to the Lord and give over to him and come to him and uh, come to Christ, he gives us that mercy that he is rich in and that grace to be able to say no to sin, to be able to uh, have a changed life. And it's only by his grace that can do it. But you have to call upon him. Now, no man calls upon, comes to the Father except that, that is called of the Father. Uh, he calls us too. Uh, no, don't get uh, haughty. Don't get prideful to the fact it's like, well, I made it because I called on Jesus. You know, and I, I surrendered. You know, and so that's what, no. You can't, you can't boast in that because you, you have no hope unless God called you first. Amen? But when God calls, you answer the call. And uh, that is where he says, whosoever. And we'll get to that verse uh, right now uh, where it says, uh, salvation by the same promise to all. The salvation is by the same promise to all. This is the second proof. 
He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Note that this promise was foretold in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And so that promise was foretold in Joel in the Old Testament. This verse is one of the great promises of God. Uh, God loves every person, no matter his nationality or race. And he's willing not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible tells us, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that, uh, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <clears throat> I've heard people say, well, you know, is the Lord ever going to come back? You know, he's promised that he would come back, but it's been so long, is he ever going to come back? The disciples thought he was coming back in their day. And every generation since then has probably thought he was coming in their day. Kind of discouraging for what we're seeing around us that might not come in our day, but it sure looks like he's going to come back any moment. But uh, no, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is coming, amen? And some men count slackness. Uh, but he is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. He is suffering long with this world and waiting that everyone that will receive him has the opportunity to receive him. Uh, but that all should come to repentance. In fact, God's promises uh, salvation to every man if the man will do but one thing, call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, notice what God says here in this verse. First of all, whosoever. Whosoever. Wow, that, they're having fun back there, I'll tell you. Uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word whosoever means anyone, everyone, no matter who they are, any person, regardless of nationality, race, or color, anyone, whosoever, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It refers to any individual from any situation, circumstance, background, nation, government, or family. It doesn't matter. Anyone can be saved. It refers to everyone, regardless of their morality, or their conduct, or their income, or their happiness, their loneliness, or their popularity, their deformity, or their attractiveness, their health, or whatever uh, uh, lack of health they might have. God says whosoever. When God says whosoever, he means any person can be saved, no matter who he is, if he will call on the name of the Lord and shall be saved. Uh, you know, the, the story is told of John Wayne, Gay, John Wayne Gacy, a, a mass murderer who was a very vile and wicked man. And in prison, uh, it's told that he got saved and, and uh, accepted Christ as a Savior. And in some respect, we look at that and we say, man, I don't know if I wanted him to get saved. That's horrible to say. Uh, you know, but it's, it's hard whenever someone has done such atrocities to think that they could uh, be forgiven as well. But the truth is, just like we looked at this morning, with forgiveness, when we have been forgiven so much and we look at the scope of our sin and we say, well, that sin is so much worse than our sin, but uh, we, can't, we can't say that. God is the same no matter what. It seems like I got louder all of a sudden here. And, uh, but uh, God is the same. Maybe I just turned, got turned on or something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, hopefully, the, was the live stream not picking up any of that the whole time? Okay. Well, it worked. It happens. Uh, sorry if you're joining us on live stream. If you if you stuck in there, good job. Uh, but the sound is on now. So, uh, but you know when someone gets saved, 
uh, they're forgiven for all of their sins. And our sin is no different. Uh, if we have uh, uh, missed the law in one point, uh, we have missed the law in all of, the, in all of it. And we are in need of Christ just as much as the, the mass murderer in prison. Uh, but anyone can be saved, whosoever. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that that whosoever is there. Amen? Uh, because I'm not innocent by any means. The um, Bible says in John 7:37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Oh, what a great uh, verse, isn't it? Any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. No matter how terrible a person or his circumstances may be, he can be saved. And 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? And God can still deliver a man, even if he is imprisoned by the most dreadful spirit of sin and uh, having the most oppressed uh, and even demonic uh, 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 oppression or even possession. Uh, God can save that man uh, if he can be, uh, if he'll yield his heart to Christ. And uh, even the most unimaginable wickedness uh, from, from the Depths of the inner city to the rural parts of America to the deepest jungles. Everyone, whosoever, is anyone that will accept him. Uh, and then we look on and we move on and it says, shall call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call upon the name of the Lord means at least two things. First of all, he believes. He believes what's being told, what God has revealed. And so when someone calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it indicates that they have faith in Jesus' ability to save them. And it indicates that the person believes and considers Jesus Christ to be the world's Savior and the Son of God who came to the earth to save mankind. Very simply, it means that a person believes the message of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever believeth in him, sorry, I was quoting two different verses there, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Amen? And uh, so whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. We see, so first of all, we see that uh, he believes. That's part of the call. Secondly, we see that it, it means that he yields to the Lord. When someone calls on Jesus as Lord, it implies that they have seen him as the almighty God and themselves as his servants. And although we're not talking about lordship salvation, uh, people who are saved will understand that he is the Lord. Amen? And it implies that a person gives himself over and commits to serving Jesus Christ throughout his or her life, uh, through everything and all that it costs. Now, although he won't always be perfect in this, uh, he has come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. After a man gets saved and through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him, if he yields to the Holy Spirit, then he will make the Lord uh, his. He will yield to the Lord as his Lord. He will do what the Lord wants him to do. Romans 12, 1 and 2 cautions us and, be, and beseeches us. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, 
But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And Christ is Lord, whether we yield to his lordship or not. He is Lord. Uh, one day, everyone will yield to the Lord. Saved and unsaved will yield to the Lord. Philippians 2.11 tells us that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And every day, one day, everyone will yield to him and bow before him. And secondly, it says, whosoever shall call, then it says, shall be saved. Whosoever shall call shall be saved. And that's it right there. Believing and yielding your will to his. It's not my strength. It's not my goodness. It's not my own efforts trying to save me. I'm yielding it to his will. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father by him. And so I'm yielding my will to his will. And saying only through him, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, that I can be saved. You're saying, I yield to you the way, the truth, and the life. And if you do that, the Bible says you shall be saved. And the second proof, uh, he, uh, third proof, excuse me, that he gives uh, is no salvation apart from the gospel. We see this in verses 14 and 15. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Remember that what just, has just been said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever refers to the whole world. But note the critical point. A person has to, be, uh, has to call in order to be saved. A person cannot call upon the name of the Lord unless he hears about the Lord. And therefore, the gospel has to be carried to the whole world. And this is the point of, the present, uh, of this present two verses. First of all, we need a preacher to go. We need a preacher to go. Without a preacher, uh, the world cannot call, believe, or hear. And Paul reverses the order of events to demonstrate his point. If someone does not believe in Jesus Christ, how can he call on him? It's not possible. And even with secular goals, one must truly believe in them before committing their entire lives to them. Uh, no, it would be foolish to uh, sacrifice everything that you have and to put everything you have into belief into something when you don't really believe in it in the first place, right? No, uh, it would be foolish, wouldn't it? No, but they have to believe in it to do this. Imagine sacrificing everything you are and everything that you have for a goal that you didn't believe in. That doesn't make sense. And if a person doesn't truly believe in something, they won't act in that way. And dealing with the Lord is no different in this regard. If a person doesn't fully believe in the Lord, he or she won't ask the Lord to save them or surrender and give everything that they are to have and have to the Lord. Uh, then he says, if someone has never heard of Christ, how can they possibly believe in him? How can a person know that Jesus Christ came to earth, died for his sins, rose from the grave, victorious over death and hell, and granting him eternal life if they've never heard the truth? Does everyone have this knowledge of Jesus Christ at birth? No, they don't. And picture the native in the depths of the jungle. And does he realize that God's son died to pay for his sins? Was he born with a knowledge of Jesus Christ? The response is clear. No, they don't. 
And before he can believe and ask the Lord to save him, the native in the heart of the jungle needs to hear. And picture the man in the depths of the inner city, the city dweller who has never been exposed to the gospel but just been surrounded by the urban environment, who has interest only in the things of the city, the only things of surviving in the, in the concrete jungle, if you will. Uh, does he know that God's son died for his sins? Uh, if he's never heard, then no, he doesn't know. He has to hear. Before calling on the Lord to save him uh, and to believe, he has to hear. Uh, picture the religionist in the depths of religion. Uh, the religious person who has only heard of the life of Jesus through ceremony or ritual or uh, has never heard the gospel clearly presented. Does the religious person realize that God's son died to deliver them from sin, death, and hell? Uh, if, in believing on Jesus Christ alone, not their ritual, not their ceremony, not their uh, uh, traditions, but believing on Jesus Christ alone. If they've never heard, they cannot possibly believe. Uh, not if he hasn't heard the gospel clearly explained. And before he can sincerely believe and ask the Lord to save him, the religious has to hear. The person in the deep depths of the jungle has to hear. The person in the inner city uh, that has to hear. Boy, what an indictment and warning to Christians. A warning to present the gospel in simple, clear-cut terms and as often as we can. Uh, what about hearing without a preacher? If a preacher or some Christian fails to teach them that Jesus died for them, how will they ever know? To hear anything requires a person to either speak or write about it. And we have to do it. A communicator is necessary to receive a communication. And you need a messenger in order to hear the, the message. And the word of the Lord Jesus Christ has to be spread across the whole world, but a messenger is required in order for the message to be spread. Someone has to go. Uh, if people are to hear the message, Christians must preach it. Secondly, we uh, see that we need a preacher to proclaim, not just to go, but to proclaim. Uh, now take note that the preacher or witness in the, uh, is the foundation of missions and evangelism. Uh, uh, any Christian who confesses the Lord Jesus is considered a preacher in this case. Uh, the message of the Lord needs to be preached in order for people to hear, for to believe, and to call on him. However, take note that what this passage says, a preacher cannot deliver a message without being sent. We talked about that a little bit last week. God is the one who sends preachers and Christians as witnesses through the local church. And the local church is to send its people out and its preachers out into the community, out into the state, out into the nation, out into the world, into the uttermost parts of the world. The gospel preachers are, wit are witness about Jesus Christ, and they are sent by Jesus Christ. We uh, may not always be able to go to the depths of the, uh, the ends of the earth to proclaim but God sends us in many different ways, doesn't he? He sends us through, in, through sometimes physical going. Sometimes he sends us through prayers for, and lay, uh, for the laborers that are going. And Matthew 9, 37, 38 says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest is truly as plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into this harvest. So we that aren't being called to go out need to be faithful to pray. Amen. Pray that God will send more missionaries. You know, I, we used to get calls for missionaries all the time. 
you know, and whenever I was at other churches or, or uh, whatever, the, you know, we would get, I would get calls on a regular basis from missionaries. You know, I can, I can count on my one hand how many missionaries call us in a, in a year. You know, we don't have, hardly any more missionaries are out in, in going out anymore. You know, we're losing the battle. And we need to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers and send people to go forth. And we that are here in this place, that God has us here, need to do our part and pray that God will send people to go. And uh, we need to go forth ourselves to our area, though, and make sure that we're reaching those that are around us. And we need to do our part to meet the needs of those who are going, be a financial support to them, and a help to them that are going to spread the gospel. And so we need a preacher that will go. We need a preacher that will proclaim, and then we need a preacher to spread. The gospel is the message of peace and glad tidings of good things. Note three points. The message of the gospel is peace. He says here, uh, let me see where I lost where I'm at here. There it is, verse number 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. The gospel is peace. John 14, 27, the Bible says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. No, God's peace is what we are trying to spread through the gospel. John 16, 33, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye might have peace. In this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And God, the message of God is a message of peace. And secondly, we notice that the message of the gospel is glad tidings of good things. It says that uh, preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's pretty glad tidings of good things. Amen. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and kill or to destroy. And Jesus said, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the message of the gospel is glad tidings of good things. Where That's what we're sharing. And the Bible says, this, thirdly, that the feet of the preacher um, and the witness are beautiful. That is, they are a welcome sight to this world. As they go, as they walk, as they share... Uh, it's a beautiful thing to this world as they share the gospel. The world desperately needs the message of peace and glad tidings of good things. And this verse is a quotation, by the way, of Isaiah 52.7. And the, uh, we need that people to spread forth the truth of the gospel. Uh, fourthly, the fourth proof that we see here that the gospel is for everyone, not just Israel, is that number four, Scripture says the gospel is for all. Scripture tells us that the gospel is for all. Verse 16 and 17, it says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Isaiah says that many Jews did not believe the report, uh, the message of God. Isaiah 53, 1 tells us. And therefore the they prove that salvation is not by race or heritage or tradition or religion or institution, nor by any, uh, uh, any works established by uh, man or the Jewish nation or any other people. And notice the second thing, Isaiah used the phrase, believing our report. 
Isaiah was saying that believing the message is the way to salvation. This is how you get saved, is believing the message that was sent. The message was to stir the faith of the people, to cause them to believe. And there are three steps involved in faith. Uh, First of all, as we saw in the previous verses, hearing. It says in verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. A man must be willing to listen to the message of Christ. Matthew 13, 16, it says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Uh, If you're willing to hear and have ears to hear, let them hear. If they're open to the truth, then you'll be able to receive that blessing. But you have to be able to hear it in the first place. Matthew, a few verses down, verse 23, he says, But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. Uh, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. is the hearing the word that brings forth the fruit. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, <clears throat> which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Where did the believing come from? By receiving the word of God, by hearing. And secondly, we see that the next step is by yielding. Verse 16 again, it says, and they, But they have not obeyed, all obeyed the gospel. They have not obeyed the gospel. <clears throat> Here we're looking at the negative side of well, the truth. Uh, in order to hear the gospel, you have to not only hear, but uh, to have the gospel, you not only have to hear, but you have to obey, yield to the truth. And this step is a, it's a mental ascent. It's the yielding your will to his. A man must agree that the message is true. The facts of the case are true in this way. Uh, but that's not enough, just a mental agreement. Mere agreement does not lead to action. The devils, the devils fear, uh, understand, uh, know God and fear him. They believe and tremble. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're saved, amen? It's not just a mental ascent but it's a yielding over our will to his. Many a person knows that something is true, but he doesn't change his behavior to match his knowledge. And when we get saved and we truly believe, God changes us through that belief and through that faith. A man knows, uh, for example, a man knows that eating too much harms his body, but yet he continues to eat too much. And we're not thinking of anybody in particular here because I would have three fingers pointed back at me. But, uh, you know, he's a double-minded man. He agrees with the truth and knows the truth, but he does nothing about it. Uh, this man still does not have, uh, have the kind of faith that the Bible talks about. A faith that is, uh, cannot be separated from works. Not that works is what gets you the faith, but it is a result of the faith. This man still does not have the faith uh, uh, that, uh, that has that, uh, the power of God behind it that helps us to do what he wants us to do and what he tells us to obey. Uh, thirdly, we see of this, not only is it hearing and yielding, but thirdly, it's a committing. And when the New Testament speaks of faith, it speaks of a commitment, a personal commitment to the truth. We often say we committed our life to Christ. And such, we use various different words for this, but it comes from this idea of what we're talking about here. A man hears the truth and he agrees that it is true, and then he does something about it. 
He commits and he yields his life to the truth. And the truth becomes a part of his very being, a part of his behavior in his life. And saving faith is believing in the name of the Lord, uh, believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and committing one's life to Him. It is trusting Jesus Christ completely, putting one's trust in Him, and that He is, and, uh, and who He is, and what He has done for us. It's casting your life into His hands, believing He will take care of our past sins. He'll take care of our present protection, and he'll take care of our future and deliver us from death and, uh, and bring us to eternal life. And note the gospel is to be obeyed. Obedience and belief are synonymous terms when dealing with the gospel. A person who truly believes in Jesus Christ will obey him. Now, will he be perfect? Will he do everything? No, because we still have that fight inside of us. We will fail. But when we fail, the person that, uh, that uh, has the Holy Spirit inside of them and they continually live in sin and they continually fight, they're the most miserable people in the world because they have that constant war going on inside of their heart. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave. Any, uh, some of the most miserable people you can know are the backslidden Christians. And uh, they don't lose their salvation. Uh, but... They have that constant pull from the Lord to do what's right. A person who truly believes in Christ obeys him, uh, or they suffer the consequences of a rough life. Uh, 2 Corinthians six seventeen and 18 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The call to the people to be saved is a call to be from be out from among them, to be separate, saith the Lord. Does that is that uh, salvation? No, that's not. We can't be separate from ourselves on our own. We can't do this on our own. We can't come out from among them. We can't be clean on our own. It is a response to salvation. It is what results from salvation. But whenever there is no change, you have to wonder if there really has been a salvation. Uh, second, number five, fifth proof we have here is Israel's disobedience proved universality. Israel's disobedience proved universality. Uh, it says, but I say, verse 18, it says, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Uh, but I say, verse 19, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I will anger you. Uh, but I, Isaiah is bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Uh, why did Israel not obey the gospel? Uh, first of all, it was not because they didn't hear. It was not because they didn't hear. Israel's disobedience was not because they didn't hear the word of God. Verse 18 again says, But I say, hear, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. The very opposite is true. Israel was the very custodian of scriptures. The very people whom God chose to bring salvation to the world. 
And no matter where the Jewish people were scattered, they had the word of God and heard it. Note Paul quotes here Psalm 19.4 as a spiritual proof of what he's saying. Psalm 19.4 says, Their lines is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. They were the pinnacle of the example of hearing the truth. They had the truth. The truth came from them or through them. And then letter B, it's not because they didn't know. It wasn't because they didn't know. Israel's disobedience was not because the people didn't know the truth. Uh, Romans 10:19 says, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Uh, they knew the truth, and they had a dynamic example and demonstration of the truth. They had the example of the Gentiles who turned to the gospel in great numbers. Note how scripture words this. It says, I will provoke you to jealousy. Israel had the stirrings of jealousy and envy to help them turn to the gospel when they saw the, the, the other nations turned. They heard and they knew. Now, their disobedience to the gospel was not because they were ignorant to the gospel. The gospel was actually lived out before their faces, before, right in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the Gentiles that were turning to Christ for salvation as well. Again, Paul supports his point from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy 32:21, where he says, "They have moved me to jealousy that which uh, is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those who are not my people, who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation." He stirs them with that, uh, that jealousy between them being God's chosen people and yet God giving the truth to everyone. But why did, they, why did they reject? Why did they reject? It wasn't because they didn't hear. It wasn't because they didn't know. No, the reason they rejected was because they were stubborn. They were stubborn. Note how good God had been to Israel. God stretched forth his hands, inviting, offering, forgiveness, peace, reconciliation, and pleading and begging for Israel to return to him. All day long, he said, being patient, long-suffering, forbearing, bearing for a long time, waiting until that last moment to turn away. And God forbeared with them, but they were stubborn. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? Hear and plead with Israel. They had the truth, and yet their stubbornness is what made them reject the gospel of truth. Hosea 6.1 says, Come, and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. And the call is for them to come back and come to the truth. And still today, God is beckoning people to come to him, including Israel. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, and I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. However, Israel refused and rejected God's gracious invitations. Israel chose to remain disobedient and obstinate. They closed their minds despite the clear evidence 
and refuse to consider the truth of Christ as the true Savior of the world, as the Messiah. Psalm 95.8 says, Harden not your heart as in, the, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And they hardened their hearts to the will of God when they were in the wilderness. And yet they had to keep going and keep, uh, keep traveling in that wilderness. Now the call is to them for not to harden their heart in the truth of the gospel. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. Oh, how dangerous it is to be stubborn and stiff-necked. Amen. And we see here five proofs in this passage that God's plan of salvation, His gospel, is not for Israel only. And so we need to go and we need to preach. We need to share the gospel of Christ to every corner of this world, starting right here with our own community, Mayville. I know it's hard to, to witness in a town where you grew up. I knew if you spent your whole life here, it can be really hard because people know you. They know all the things about you, don't they? You know, it's hard to witness to your own family. Why? Because they know you. You know, they, it's, uh, the prophet is rejected in his own country. That's not quoting right at all. But nevertheless, you know, it's, it's the, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, when you've lived here all of your life, it's hard to reach out to people and to get them to hear. But that's completely discounting God working on their hearts. Amen? Completely discounting God's power. We just need to be faithful to go. Be the witness. Not only in our words, but also in our actions. If we don't live out the gospel in our lives, then our actions are going to speak so loudly they can't hear a word we're saying. And we need to be faithful to the truth of God and be faithful to proclaim the truth of God. Whatever you can do, do it. If you, can't, if you can, go. and Go to the end, ends of the earth and spread the gospel. If you can't go, give. Amen? If you can't give, you don't have anything, Pray. Pray and ask the Lord to help those that are going. Pray that the Lord will send laborers and have more people to go. Pray for people, God, to call young men and that they'll be not distracted by the cares of this world and the things that are in this world, the video games and the movies and the, and the uh, pornography that's for pervasive in every part of this world. But God will keep some men clean and call them to the gospel of Jesus Christ and call to preach. We're having fewer and fewer people in our Bible colleges today because Christians have stopped praying for them. And we need to pray that God will do a work in the lives of the people around us. But let's stay faithful to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ this week. Amen? Wherever we can, whatever we can do, let's do it. Be faithful. Ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do this week that will help spread the gospel? And then obey it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, this message. and. Uh, Father, difficult chapters to preach through here, but uh, try the best we can to uh, break this down and outline it out as best as we can. I pray, Lord, that it would be something in here tonight that would speak to our hearts and uh, encourage us to keep serving you and to, uh, to do what you have called us to do. Help us be faithful, I pray, Lord, as you are always faithful to us. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. We will see you